let me introduce you to this teaching cassette. You are about to experience the life-changing Word of God, presented to you under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Michael Billings. He is born again, spirit-filled, and the pastor of Word of Life Family Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You'll be refreshed as it brings the gospel to you with great boldness and simplicity. Our prayer is that you take sufficient time to enjoy and understand this message. So get your Bible out and get ready for an explosive life-adjusting message. You will never be the same. to turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, if you say it that way, you may not even know where you're going, but if I just say John three sixteen, well, then, of course, you know, well, yeah, I know that verse. Hallelujah. John three 16. We're talking about um, the title of this message, or could be, is God Loves Me. Let's say it together by faith. God loves me. Well, now there's the... There's the uh, there's the mind end of that that just says, well, God does love me, and I know that, and I couldn't be born again if God did, doesn't love me. But then there's the experiential part of God loves me, where you literally act like and make decisions by and carry out your life by the fact that God loves me. See, a lot of times people say that. They'll say, God loves me, but their life does not reflect that truth. They'll do things, they'll fear things, they'll turn from things that God has placed in their life because they're not sure that what, what it means when God loves me. We have marriages that bust up, divorces happen, separations going on because of the one issue, do you love me? Well, if you loved me, you would do this, you wouldn't do that. And we have a definition, we have a criteria, we have a set of, of parameters that says, if you love me, this is what you would do, you don't do that, therefore. And the other guy, the, the man's saying, but that's not what I, I do love you, and, and you know, I don't do that, but I still love you. And you have these two definitions of what love is, and it takes a lifetime to work it out. Doesn't it? Does, in a marriage, don't you have to work that out over a lifetime of marriage, of working out what does that mean? And it evolves? Well, you can't get by in this time. We've been married 26 seven years, and, and, and uh, uh, I can't get by now with what I could get by with then. We have some things in our past, in our marriage, that was like, we used to fuss a little bit. And, uh, you know, and in the, oh, you holy things, you, dear Lord. I mean, we yeah, we were married seven years before we even got the Holy Ghost, so, uh, and just because we were denominationally raised doesn't really mean anything. Come on now. And then, you know, and so we did some things that if we did this now, if we did some of those things now, the, some of the things that we said, you know, some of the things that we did, if you drive off or you slam a door or you, you know, I, if I couldn't take it, I just, you know, I had a farm and I could just say, got to go check water. Boom. I could take off and, you know, go make some water, go turn on some water to check. Amen. So you just can't, you know, we can't do that now. Well, see, that's the, that's the thing about God's love. We, it's deeper than what we've known. And, and so we make decisions. We, we say God loves me, but we make decisions that absolutely don't reflect that and don't mirror that. How many of y'all know this is, this is what we need? When we discover that God loves me and it, it penetrates the dark areas of our life, 
Listen, there's nothing, that good thing that will be withheld from us. Amen. Now, I went to the Vines Dictionary. We're going to read this, and then I'm going to read you what Vines says about love. Let's read John 3.16 together. I'm in the King James. You do the best you can with what you have. Verse 16, ready, read. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, you could shorten that to say, take the mechanics out, for God so loved the world that I wouldn't perish. God so loved me so I wouldn't perish. Literally, the word there for loved is the word agape, which is a Greek word, which is what the New Testament is translated from. And you have to understand when the New Testament was put in and they put that word agape in, they did not have a reference to that word because it's the way God loves. It's the God kind of love. Well, God, they had had no, in the Greek, they had no experience with the God kind of love, did they? I mean, it's like they invent something, some, some uh, DV player or something. Well, you know, in the 1800s, they, they didn't know what DVD was. So that, that word and that definition has, is, a, is a very modern word. Well, in this time, agape, in the sense of what God loved, it was very different from the heathen uh, uh, references they were drawing from. But here's what Vine says it is as it evolved. He said agape and agapeo are used in the New Testament, A, to describe the attitude of God toward His Son. So I'd say that was pretty strong, wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. As you can see, that nothing in Greek literature would, would prepare them for this word. It also means the human race, God's attitude towards the human race, generally, and to believers on the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. So this word agape, what we call love, is God's attitude towards... It's the same attitude towards His only begotten Son towards the world in large, and me as a believer, you as a believer in particular. That's what it means. It also means, B, to convey His will to His children concerning their attitude one toward another. So it says here that this word is what God expects not only from Him to to the Lord Jesus, Him to us, but He expects it to be from us to one another. Agape. Okay? And then C... It is to express the essential nature of God. That not only is it something that God does or God has, but actually the Bible says God is agape. It is not just something that that flows and goes. We can't see the wind, but we see the effect of the wind. Last night I had to get my ladder out three times. We have a motion detector that's out on the driveway, and something was blowing something, and that thing would come on, you know, because it was in the sensor realm, and I take it out there and adjust it and adjust it. Finally, I took it out there and I took the bulbs out. <laughs> you know, if it was going to shine last night, it was going to be I had to get up and meet the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we have, we have this, 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 this nature of God. Then, then Mr. Vine goes on and he says, Love can be known only from the action it prompts. That's what I was talking about, the wind. God's love is seen in the gift of His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave. Love always gives. You know, lust always demands or receives or takes. But love always gives. God's love is seen in the gift of His Son, but obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. God didn't love us because we were so cool. The Bible says while we were yet dead in our sins, Christ died for us. 
So it wasn't because he loved us, because he said, I, I love that. You know how you see a car in the showroom? It's got excellency. We're not, we're not looking at some you know, Volkswagen van or some, some uh, uh, Fiat uh, Renault or something. When we, we say, I love that car, it is the coolest thing. It is so excellent. It is so awesome. That's not what we were to God. And yet he agaped us. It's, he went on to say, it was an exercise in the divine will in deliberate choices. Choice, excuse me. Made without assignable cause except that which lies in the nature of God himself. He just loved us because he's God and could. Then he, Mr. Vine goes on, he says, love had its perfect expression among men in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian love is the fruit of his spirit in the Christian. Amen. When we see the fruit of the Spirit, we're seeing God's nature. Christian love has God for its primary object and expresses itself, first of all, in implicit obedience to His commandments. Now, when God says, I love, I love the world, what He did is He demonstrated that by giving His only begotten Son. But when we go back and say, and God, I love you too, it is empty except that we are obeying His commandments. Did y'all get that? If a man says, I love God, but is in rebellion and does not obey the commandments of God, has his own will in a own way, then he does not love God. He's undeveloped, you might say. He's immature uh, in his love. Mr. Vine goes on to say, self-will, that is self-pleasing, is the negation of love to God. Oh my. Amen. Oh, don't y'all want to love him? Don't y'all want to just say, God, I love you, and then, then have him say, I feel the love? But when we have self-will, Mr. Vine says, self-will, that is self-pleasing, then we are not demonstrating love. And he goes on, he says, this is the last paragraph, he says, Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward gen men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with natural inclination nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. He's saying that it's not natural, it's not reasonable. Y'all know about God's love, don't you? It's like, God, why? Well, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And it says, uh, love seeks, seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So we're going to examine this word love because God loves me and God loves you. Let's say it again. God loves me. Now, that is knowledge. That is gnosis. That is knowledge. But the moment that it becomes revelation, then your faith, which works by love, will take a bound. Condemnation is the enemy of the, of the born-again believer. The devil... Who cares? Who cares about the devil? His only power is to bring condemnation to our failures. We have failures, and all of our failures remain failures and are consummated in failure if we don't know that God loves me. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, I can fix this, the love of God can fix this little boo-boo, can fix this little mess-up, can fix this missing the mark, because God loves me. And the moment that it happens, see, we, we're fixed and we're realigned. This word... Um, this word world, for God so loved the world, the word there is the word cosmos, and it means world in the sense of the human race, but it also means heathen nation. God so loved the heathen nation. 
the nations. You know, I used to be a part of the heathen nations. Did you used to be a part of the heathen nation? And the Bible says that God, through no design of reason, through no affinity of excellence, through no reciprocation of, of blessing, God loved the heathen nation because it was His nature. And I was a part of the heathen nation, but then I came out and became a part of the family of God. Didn't we? We became a part of the family. So, so if God still, still while they and I was dead in my trespasses and sins, He loved me. Christ died for me. He, he was obedient to the will of Father, which means He loved the Father, He obeyed the Father, and He kept His commandments, His desires, proving His love to God. Then God was able to demonstrate His love towards me while I was yet a heathen nation. But now I'm part of the family. So if He loves the heathen nation, how much more? How much more does God love me? If He loves the heathens that are shaking their fist at Him and cursing Him and, 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 and doing all vile things against Him, how much more did He love me who am blood-bought? Hallelujah. Spirit-born. Hallelujah. Praise God. I, I, God loves me. We miss this sometimes, and the devil is, is, is always careful to, to, when he brings condemnation to not mention that God is an all-consuming God and that He consumes sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. Turn with me to Ephesians, if you would. Chapter 4. Chapter 3. God loves me. Praise God. Well, you know what we have to do in the church... The reason we preach along these lines, the reason we teach along these lines, is not because we don't have knowledge about it, but that we understand that, uh, that you'll, not have accept, uh, you'll not have success except in the areas where you have mastery. When we had a Christian school in our church, uh, in, our, uh, church in West Texas, it, we had a, a particular system of operation where the, that the children learned, and it wasn't done by a teacher. It was done by uh, paces where the, where the children literally went through a particular program that was divided up into many segments and many subjects. And, and the, the, the fundamental uh, uh, the law of this particular uh, curriculum was is that you can't advance until you have mastery. It wasn't enough to be exposed to multiplication. It, it was important to have mastery. And it would be detrimental, this system uh, purported, that if you went on to, to algebra without having mastery in multiplication or division. And, and you could be there for some time. If a child had, had just, you know, had some sort of something and they, they were having trouble in multiplication or division, they would be there for a while versus a class that would just say, well, you know, for the good of the whole class, we've got to move on. And, and that child then would have some sort of uh, deficit, some sort of... He, he wouldn't be enlightened in that area. And it would always show up then down the road because it was a fundamental, it was a foundational truth that was implemented down the road. But if you didn't have it, you couldn't, you couldn't have mastery over here. And so that child would take that pace, that little uh, 40 or 50 page uh, uh, curriculum thing, he would take it over and over until finally he had mastery. Well, sometimes you didn't move as fast. Some children didn't move as fast as others. But wherever they were, they were a master at that level. Well, see, that's the way it is in the kingdom. Many times we touch on areas. We just say, well, you know, I, I heard some things on faith, and I heard some things on prosperity, and, you know, I've got a set of tapes on healing, and, you know, I know God loves me. But, you know, if we don't have mastery, then, then the enemy, the evil one, that's the operator of this world, he comes in and he subverts us. Only where you have mastery are you going to have success. 
So we pound these things. We'll work on this series here. No telling how long we'll go on this. And, you know, you, if you're just in here going, I get it. Come on now. You know, I get it. But, you know, getting it is not like, well, I have understanding up here. Getting it's where it begins to flow back out down here, where, where it becomes a part of your life. And it doesn't matter whatever else is in the kingdom that we could study and that we could look at until we have mastery in this area. There's no need in going on because we'll be flawed in those areas as well not having a foundation in this area. So we, ha- we talk about righteousness around here a lot. We talk about who you are in Christ Jesus because it is a master foundation key to prosperity. It's a master key to healing and health. You cannot go there even though it's a major part of our doctrine. And one thing that, that separates us and sets us apart from many other um, aspects or camps, if you were, in the, in the kingdom of God. Yet we don't always spend our time there because going there and having flawed foundations will not cause us to have success, which then brings criticism. When we, when we purport to be the healed, when we purport to be having our needs met, but we can't manifest it, we can't, we can't pull it off. We, we, we say we are and we're giving towards that, but it doesn't happen because there's a flaw, there's a missing key, there's something wrong, then we are, we are failures. Well, well, how come y'all are sick? You're just as sick as us and we, we don't believe God heals. Why is that? Well, it's not that we don't believe in God heals, but we are not sure that God loves me. We're not sure that no matter what I do, I'm still the righteousness of God in Him. So we have to keep renewing our mind, don't we? You, you should have a set of tapes concerning this, of some area concerning righteousness that you listen to, that you, just, that you turn over. Because while we're teaching it every so many weeks or months, everything, you may not be here. You may not be tuned in. You need to have something. You're plugging in. Did y'all get that this morning? So, you know, having church isn't always going to the, to the, to the dessert bar. You know the dessert bar, and, the, and, and that when you go into these restaurants, everybody, all the kids want to go to the dessert bar. Sometimes you got to go over there, and you just got to get you a big helping of beans, and a big helping of, of, of mashed taters, and you know, got to get the broccoli, the green stuff. You know, you got to put that on the plate. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter three. Let's look in verse fourteen. Paul is just—he is ministering to these people that have. Ephesus, and he says, For this cause, verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That, see, he's bowing his knees. Why? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That word glory is the same word for goodness. To the riches of his g- glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. See, Paul didn't, he didn't pray, I'm praying God would prosper you. I'm praying God would heal you. No, he's saying, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened by his might in the inner man because the doctrine that you hold, the truth that you hold, will come forth if you're strong enough on the inside to go the distance. It doesn't matter how fast you can run. It doesn't matter how many times you enter the race. If you don't cross the finish line, you don't get any of the prize. So it'd be better to go in a shorter race and be in less races and win the prize there than to be in every marathon and never finish. Hallelujah. So see, a good church will just go back to these things over and over and strengthen you. And then you at home, you, you that, that were at home, then we're, we're saying, God, prosperity's in here. And we're interested in getting our needs met. We go there and say, God, I believe I received my need met according to your riches and glory. Well, why would you go there? Well, because you know who you are. God loves me. I'm the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. So you can go there on your own. 
But the devil will talk you out of some of this other stuff. Hallelujah. Well, let's go on. He said, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in agape, in love. We, we, that word love in the English is so broad because we have, we have one word love, but in the Greek, there was agape, the God kind of love. There's also the word phileo where we get our word Philadelphia, which is city of brotherly love. And it's a different kind of love. It's, it's a love that's tender affection. And then there's another word called eros, and it means love in the English. It's translated, but it's sensual love or physical love. But So this word, you wouldn't know it except it's gape, that you might be rooted, which means established and fixed, and grounded, which means to be settled and stable in love the God kind of love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, look, may be able to comprehend. See, you can't comprehend the vastness of His plan for your life until you're established and fixed and grounded in His love. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. Well, I, I just wrote a book on prosperity. I, I know all about healings. I know the seven ways that God heals. And I know, uh, you know all the covenant things. But if you're not rooted and grounded in that God loves me, then you'll throw it off. It won't stick. It won't, it won't, it won't go the distance in your life. Hallelujah. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love, the agape of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye, look, look, what's the evidence? What's the benefit? What's the reward of being rooted in grounded love? That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Might be filled with the fullness of God. Might be filled with the fullness of God. This word filled and fullness... In the, in the Strong's, they're just one number apart. They're, they're kind of like have and has. They're the same word, but just a different tense. Let me read you what the, what the Bible dictionary says about being filled with the fullness of God. See, because we're going, well, I'm full of God. Well, you know, if there's a, if, if there's a four-inch pipe of water going into a tank, this is, comes from the farmer in me, if there's a four-inch pipe of water flowing into a tank, but there's a five-inch hole in the bottom of the tank... We're never going to see that tank full, are we? It's never going to happen. So we could say, I'm filled. Pastor, I'm filled with the fullness of God. But if we got leaks in our life, if we got so many things where the devil's just poked us and jabbed us, and we have no defense, we have no, nothing to say, we have nothing in our heart that says, No, I am the righteousness of God. I do not accept condemnation. If we don't have that, well, we're just splurting all over. It's coming in. Woo, glory. I'm filled with the fullness of God. But we got all these leaks and nothing's happening. We have no mastery. The Lord wants you to be a master of the doctrines. In Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about how we, we, should, not, we should go on and not laying again the elementary and the foundational things concerning faith and repentance from dead works and resurrections, those things going on. Well, family, we got we to get those things established. So we can go on. But what we've done is we've dabbled in those things and not had success because we didn't have mastery at this level. You've got to have mastery at this level. You can't stay married without mastery at this level in love. You can't stay, ma you can't stay married. Or if you do, it'll be, it'll be hell on wheels. Amen? You've got you to know God loves me. 
Because during a fuss, during a, during a storm, during a, and there's, the devil's got plenty of storms out there, your boat will rock. You've got to have an anchor. You've got to be anchored. Hallelujah. And sometimes she'll rock and you've got to be anchored for her. And sometimes you'll rock and you, she's got to be anchored or everybody's going overboard. Amen. These things are foundational. And then like Colin was talking about our children, how, how we, have, we can give them a heritage. That heritage is based on having mastery, not necessarily having wealth. You could have parents that raised you that gave you a mastery of we're tithers. This family honors and, and fears and, and praises God, and we bring our tithe into the storehouse. That's established in, in children. Whether you ever had the fullness of what it could do and, and never did really reap the benefits of its potential, yet those children saw our house honored God. Woo, there is so much benefit. People will do anything. Oh, they'll worry about, oh, do I have enough money set back for college? Listen, that's not the major issue. If you get this other stuff right, if you put that stuff in your kids, then wh what, who says that parents have to pay for their college for their kids anyway? Who says that, that their kids can't go to school if mom and dad don't have a big thing that they, they throw in their life? I didn't. Debbie didn't. There's just more ways to do it than that. And, 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 you know, if you do it, that's fine. But we're just saying, that's the back door. The front door is like, God wants to establish this in your life. Don't be, don't be not serving God to put something back for your kids. Put something in your kids concerning the here and now. And when you do, then when that time comes, either there'll be scholarship or the money, there'll just be business per, men, or, or you'll just have so much money you can just throw it in their life. But to literally put it back and to, and to do without and to, and to suffer at this time so they can have an education at that time is really faithless if, if you do it from a side of fear. Now, we're not talking about don't save and don't be mindful and don't have wisdom, but we're talking about the important parts, the elements that God wants to put in your life now. He wants you to be a master. That's why we don't talk a lot about Bible prophecy in here. And, 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 and I know it's very interesting, and you can follow that stuff, and when you do, you can see how precise God is. It's not so much a matter as, what do you think about this, and what do you think is going to happen there? It's just a matter of the known things that you can trace, and you can see the faithfulness of God's Word that He spoke years and years ago, how it came to pass in such detail. But to speculate and to, and, to, and to wrangle back and forth about what's going to happen and who's the Antichrist and where, where's the ten nations and what's the horns mean, you know, I got bills to pay tomorrow. Let the ten horns ride, you know, but I, I, need, I, got, I got a bobo on my leg and I, I need Jesus to help me. And, 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 you know, those are the things that are today's issues. And people that get over on that, you know, it, it, hey, we all ought to be mindful of that, but to get over there and just camp is just out of balance, in my opinion. I, I think, you know, and God did put it in there so that we could see, hey, there's a plan, and, and I'm mindful of the plan, but I will tell you this, because I had a man call me the other day and say, where's your stand on the rapture and all this, you know? And he said, I can't come to your church unless you believe, you believe there's no rapture. Well, he's not here this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know... But he was just caught up, just, you know, just tangled up in, in what about this scripture and what about... He was, he was consumed by little things. The little foxes were spoiling his vine. He, he couldn't take one step in the things that mattered because he was, he was wrangled and tied up and just consumed by no church preaches it right, and so I don't go to church. He said, there is a church in Missouri that preaches it right. Really? One poor God could only get one church to do it right. And, and we all have to move to Missouri. I think I got off the subject here, but 
Amen. Woo, thank you, Lord. Okay, I was going to tell you about filled with the fullness of God. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be filled with the fullness of God. Now listen, this word filled and fullness means this. This is you and I. It means to, it means to make full, to fill up, to fill to the full, to cause to abound, to furnish or supply liberally. Literally, this translation said, I abound, I am liberally supplied. To render full, that is to complete. To fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to full measure, to fill to the brim, to consummate, to make complete in every particular, to render perfect, to carry through to the end, to accomplish, to carry out, to carry into effect, to bring to realization, to realize, use to fulfill, that is to cause God's will to be obeyed as it should and God's promises to receive fulfillment. Well, you know, whether you got all that or not is irrelevant. The fact is, is that there's nothing wanting when you are filled with the fullness of God. You can just see that there's no bills in the drawer that go, not this month. I just wasn't filled with... I was filled with, a, with the fullness of God, but it just, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean that much. Filled with the fullness of God. Consummate to finish to complete. And you say, how do you get that? I need to study more prosperity scriptures. Well, you certainly got to be with the brakes off concerning God's plan to supply you. You've got to know enough of the Word that, uh, that you don't have the brakes on, I'm not sure. But after we take the brakes off concerning God's will to heal, that you know in the Word God, God wants to heal everybody all the time, then really to, to, to really go get in there and say, you know, what about, did I do this when I was three years old? And, you know, what about this thought that I had? Does that keep me from getting healed? Really... Paul was telling us here, he said, if you'll get rooted and grounded in love, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. God loves me. And that means that healing is for me. That means supply is for me. That means every need is met. Not just pretty good. We've been living on pretty good. It's a level that's better than not so good. And we're glad to be in pretty good versus not so good, which is where we all came from, not so good. But pretty good is still not so good when it's compared to filled with the fullness of God. So we've got to let go. We've got to let go. We've got to let go of things that keeps God from loving me. I notice that, and you'll notice, that, that we'll let God save us from a burning hell. We'll acknowledge, oh God, if it wasn't for you, I'd be gone. We acknowledge our, our, our degenerate nature. But after we get saved, I notice believers only generally have what it takes that they can get with their works. That, that the benefits they get from God, they only allow God to bless them when they open the little door, I've been good, Lord, come on in. I've been pretty good, come on in a little. Lord, I hadn't been that good, we'll, we'll talk later. But see, the same grace and mercy and love that got you saved is the same power that wants to fill you with the fullness of God even when you aren't so good. See, we just can't go back to works. Works, works are terrible. Living by works is like a ping-pong ball. You're just getting beat on both sides of the table. Amen. Let's go on just a little bit here. We're, we're not going to stay long here. But turn with me to John 15, 9. How does God love me? Because see, now that we've established, just briefly, in this little outline, we've established that God loves me 
And that if I will be filled with the fullness of God, if I will be rooted and grounded in love, He will fill me with the fullness of God. In other words, it, I open my heart to Him to be more to me when I understand that God loves me. The whole key is not need. Because see, family, there are people out here that are so needy in their bodies. They're, they are terminal. There is great pain, great symptoms, great trouble in their bodies. Such need. Such need. I mean, they're on constant medical... They're, they're hooked into the doctor, hooked into a, some service that, that says, I, I need to know you're there for me. So it's not based on need because, see, God wants to meet that need, but we don't open up to God. <laughs> Even with great need in our life, sometimes we don't open up to God just a little bit. Lord, I have this great need, but I don't feel like you're the, you're the answer. You're the source. Well, guess what? We're not, we're not rooted and grounded in love aren't we? So then we can't be filled with the fullness of God. Great financial need. Just, just going under. Trouble. And then here, God is a good God. God wants to supply all your need. We hear that, but we're not being rooted and grounded in love. We say, well, God, you know, if you was to send a check, a little check, you know, I, I've been good enough for a little check. And God, you love me for a little check. See, we've got two checks here at the church this week from just, just out of nowhere. I don't even know who one of them comes from. I don't, I've never heard of this person. Just, just came in. That's what it ought to be for you and I because we're, because we're rooted and grounded in love. And so if God wants to send it in that way, fine. But if He wants to give me another job or if He wants to open up another two, we don't care because I'm opening the door. I'm opening the door because God loves me. He can't hurt me. He won't hurt me. He only has good for me. And anything that I would want to hold back in the way of, well, Lord, if I go your way, I'll have to give up pleasure and... You know, I can't play, I can't watch any more TV, and Lord, I have to quit smoking, and you know, all these things, God, I just can't give my life to you. Well, see, we're not perfected, we're not rooted and grounded in love. You will have to give up smoking, but it'll be your decision. It'll be when you have mastery over your body and say, body, this is enough. We're filled with the fullness of God, and we're not going to, we don't even want to smoke. And being filled with the fullness of God, it just drives that, that craving, that, 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 uh, literally that uh, addiction, it just squeezes it out. But you can't do it from this side. You can't say, God, when I quit smoking, I'm going to give my life to you. You have to give your life to Him smoking. You have to. Because then and only then can you be filled with the fullness of God. And without being filled with God... You listen, your human body is just like everybody else's human body, and nicotine works on everybody's body the same. And so if you get addicted to nicotine and you're not filled with the fullness of God, you can't quit. So we have to just say, God, just as I am, without one plea, here I am, take care of me. Amen? <laughs> Did I damage somebody? Did anybody get hurt tonight, this morning? Hallelujah. So how does God love me? Look in John 15, 9. Are you there? Matthew, Mark, 15, 9. Okay, let's read it together. Verse 9. Jesus speaking, he says, ready to read, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So he said, I'm going to love you. Jesus said, I'm going to love you just exactly like the Father loves me. Now, is there any doubt in this room that the Father had less than full, complete, and absolute love for the Lord Jesus? No, there's no doubt, is there? We, we understand that. We can get even religious on it, like, well, yeah, but. And then there's that but that says, but I am a human. I am down here on earth. And Jesus was Jesus, and he was the Son of God. But you have to understand, in the new birth, I am a Son of God. 
And everything, everything that He is, I am as well. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That would be in any time of crisis or choice. Because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, seated at the right hand of the Father, verse 17 says, so are we in this earth now. So everything that Jesus is, was and is, we have become. Therefore, as the Father loves the Son, so the Son, so are we loved as Jesus is by the Father, so are we loved. Amen? Well, so how does Jesus love? In Luke chapter 6, turn there real quick. I tried to get this out last week and didn't, or week before, so we're going to just go there. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. How does, how does God love us? How, how does He consummate that? Well, He loves us the same way He loves the Lord Jesus. Now, you can't fathom that. I'm not even trying to suppose that you can, that you can accept that, except in the, in the surface realm. There's no way that you and I can surf, that we can, we can ingest and, and bring to bear that God loves me the same way as He loved the perfect, sinless, virgin-born Son of God, the Lord Jesus. You cannot go there in your mind. You cannot bring yourself to that level in your mind. It, it, you can say, oh yeah, that's the way it is. I saw it in the Bible. But you cannot live that out experientially without revelation. You have to drive some little demons out of your life concerning who you are, were unworthy and, and no good and, and, and failure conscience and filthy rags motivated. We have to drive stuff out, don't we? And we do that by revelation. We shine the light on the dark places. Being... Being unworthy in my heart is a dark place. It's, it's saying that I am what I've done. And I am not who I, what I've done. I am what He has done. I am not what I have done. I may have done what they said I did, but I am not who they say I am. I am who He says I am. I have to, I have to move my identification of who I am from what I've done to what He's done. And if I do not master that, if I don't become rooted and grounded in that, then I will not be filled with the fullness of God. I cannot. And, and I'll always fall short of the perfect plan and will of God without being filled with the fullness. Because, you see, when you think we're filled with something, so if you're just half full of the fullness of God, then there's 50% of you that's filled with something else. Doubt, unbelief, bitterness. Hello. So what we're doing here is we have a mind project. We're working on this thing, this gray matter that says... You stupid thing. You can't have it. You don't deserve it. This isn't right. You can't expect it. Don't expect it. We're not expecting anything. Oh, we got a little dribble from God. We, that'd be good for us. See, you can't go there and be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Now, we're going to go here, just in verse 31. Jesus speaking, he says, And as you would that men should do unto you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye, for sinners also love them, that, those that love them. See, now we're talking here about phileo love. They have an affection. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You bless me, I'll bless you. And this is very prevalent in the church. 
very political in the church. The church is very political. If we bring the world system in here and just sanctify it with a cross at the front and some hymns and, uh, and, and, and whatever, then we have not changed anything. We've just changed the packaging on it and said, this is, this is spiritual and that's, that's heathen. So if we have to change what we do in the church. We have to love with the God kind of love. But you see people bunch up, you know, this, this bunch goes this way because that's who they, they feel comfortable with. This bunch goes this way with those people. That's the world. That's the world. You, you just can't go there and say, I'm living in the God kind of love. No, you're living in the flail kind of love. It says it feels good to be with these people. They understand me. So what? Now, we're not cutting those people off, but you know, when you come to church, you and I are supposed to be getting with people that are contrary to reason and giving them life, or receiving life from them. Well, we can't go there this morning. I guess we already have, but... um, Verse 33, And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye for sinners also do the same? And if you lend to them of whom ye have hope to receive, what thank have ye for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again? But love ye your enemies. Say enemies. Love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto thee. What? Are y'all listening? He is kind unto the unthankful, and who? And to the evil. Well, see, our nature is to be kind to the thankful. I just blessed Kevin, and he, he was thankful, and he told me so when we both felt good. But Pastor Webb tells a story about him giving a large sum of money to a church that had a building fund, and uh, like thirty, twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. And their their building fund was going nowhere, and, and their the project was going nowhere. And, and the Lord spoke to his heart, and he sowed that. And and as he gave that, he just kind of stood there, thinking that, that that the pastor's wife would say, "Thank you for being used of God. Our faith has done this, but you've been used of God." And uh, it got real awkward. He said, and it, all of a sudden she says. Well, what do you expect? If you hadn't have done it, somebody else would have. Well, you know, we're not, getting our, we're not getting our warm fuzzies from people necessarily, but it's hard to get rebuked when you, get, you know, when you do something right and you follow God. Amen? So there's an exchange here. What did Jesus do? He said, he said you follow my pattern, which is to be kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Why are people not thankful? Why are people, born-again believers, why are we as people, why are we not thankful to God for what He's given us? One thing is that we've not been taught right. We've been taught that God is, is sovereign. Now, this is real tricky here. But you know, there was a, somebody gave me an article this week out of the, uh, the Crimson White about a girl that, uh, that uh, used to be a committed Christian, but now she is leading an agnostic uh, atheist group uh, on the campus. She is leading that because she has turned from being a believer to being a devil worshiper, as you were. Now, she doesn't worship devils, but, you know, it's, it, it is the default, you know. It is the default. And, uh, you know, what she's saying is, is, is that, uh, you know, that, the, that the, the church she came out of, they taught that God was in control. And she said, so she would ask them things. Well, if God's in control, why did this happen? If God's in control, why did this happen? It's the question that all Christians are asking at funerals. And a preacher gets up there and tries to explain it, and there is no answer except the right answer. People are smart. They can reason. And when you tell them God just plucked a little rose from 
When you tell them that junk, when you give them that garbage, it, it, and a man of God does that, it unwinds things in their wiring. See, God is not sovereign in the earth. He is sovereign in heaven. But He has given authority to His man. So if you see hungry people and God, God is not ministering to those hungry people, and you go, I thought you said God is love. If God is love, why are there wrecks? Why are there people dying? Why is there epidemics? Why, why are there plane crashes? Doesn't God so love the world? Why doesn't He take care of that? You have these questions. So people are not thankful because they think it's, it's God that's killing them. That in His divine plan, He's got a purpose for them dying. You've got to be bold to tell the truth that God has given authority to man on earth. Well, then you get over there where you're talking about man being charged or filled with the fullness of God and that he has authority over life and death. It's in the power of his tongue. And people don't want to hear that. But they have no answers. So why are people not thankful? Because one reason they've been told, they've been taught that God is not a good God. He's not good all the time. Sometimes he has a pretty rough side. And he can just, you know, gets out of bed like everybody. And if he just had a tough night, and, you know, if his, if his light came on and off all night outside the window, well, you know, he, he just, he's just liable to crank up something and bring a few people home. I mean, it's crazy on this side, but you cannot... You, when you take their theology and you follow it out, that's all you can come up with. That's all they can come up with. So they've been, they're not thankful because they hadn't been taught that God's a good God. And they're not thankful because they don't understand that God loves me based on not what I've done, but based on what the Lord Jesus has done. They, they, they're having trouble taking the substitute of the Lord Jesus because we, the Word says, we scarcely could die. We, we, just, we could not die for somebody else. Yet Jesus did for us. And we, it's hard to humanize that and bring that to bear. God loves me. God loves me. But see, you, you've got to be rooted and grounded in this. You've got to get rid of this tradition stuff. You've got to get rid of this stuff that, that, uh, that they taught you, if it's wrong. If it's contrary to the Word, you've got to throw it out. Because it, it'll, work, it'll work in the funeral, and everybody will cry, and, oh, you know, God's got them and all that, and you'll go out the door. But when you go out the door, you've wrecked people's lives. They've got to, they, the next morning they get up, and they have to live their life and they've got to face a real devil in a real world, and they've got to say, where is God in all this? I just went to a funeral, and they told me, they, they, they told me enough, enough to get me through the funeral, but it didn't fix it. It messed up my life for the next day. It's cowardice. Preachers that do it, churches that want it, it is cowardly. It is, it is the weenie way out. <laughs> it fixes it for the funeral, it causes everybody to feel good then, but it scrambles tomorrow. Well, I'm living in tomorrow. How about you? And I want it right. Thank you, Jesus. God loves me. God loves me. Say it with me. God loves me. I want a revelation of that. Well, we'll just have to work hard. We'll just have to give ourselves. No, just take the brakes off. Just quit thinking God doesn't love me. And a whole lot of what God's goodness is will start coming into your life. Let's stand up this morning. I want to go another little while, but you know...